0: Do I really want to do this for the next 10 years? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, here we are heading into Christmas, a wonderful time of the year, hopefully for everybody listening. We're going to be talking about some Christmas things, but also about questions that people are asking. Golly, do I really want to do this for the next 10 years? That's kind of a poignant one. We'll start out with that one. Here's some others we'll be looking at. I have a business idea of placing and maintaining bird feeders in my community. And we got an update. Last week, I addressed A lady who didn't want to be a sleazy salesperson but wanted to be successful in real estate got an update from her on what she's doing and how she's doing it. Pretty cool stuff. And somebody says, I'm almost 50 years old. I've had to go back to taking IT jobs again, driving Uber and other side jobs to pay the bills. You know, transition is happening no matter what. I mean, that's one thing we can count on. The workplace continues to be very volatile. Change is happening. Whether you're doing something on your own or whether you're working for a company, change is likely to occur. How are you going to handle it? Well, we'll be looking at that. Got a quotation for today. This comes from Farah Gray, who said, build your own dreams or someone else will hire you to build theirs. So the question is, whose dream are you building? Well, our business partner today is FreshBooks. You know you can claim your free trial with them. Just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days. Enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. Now, next week, this is going to be coming out on December 21st, next next week. I want to address, I put up a question recently in the 48 Days Eagles community about what, if you had $1,000 right now. To invest in your business, what would you do? Got a ton of responses in there, some really interesting things. Next week, I want to unpack that a little bit. What would you do if you had a thousand dollars to invest? Some people, golly, they, they shared really astounding kind of things that they would do to move them forward. So the question then kind of begs the question: Golly, is it really that difficult to get a thousand dollars to invest in your business if you think it's important? So we'll talk about that as well how to get $1,000 if it would really change the direction of your business and what you're able to do. Well, I want to address a question that comes from Elam. Yeah, I've got some good news. I'm going to save that because I want to go right into this question here today. Dan, I'm a member of the 48 Days Eagles. I listen to your podcast every time. I recently moved to Nashville. Two years ago, I started pursuing a home inspection business. I was raised Amish in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, have about 18 years of construction background. I love being in business, although it's had its challenges like anything else. The question is, do I really want to do this for the next 10 years? I'm at the point in this home inspection business where I need to ramp it up and go full time or completely get out of it. The thing that I struggle with is I'm not sure if I'm completely sold out in this kind of occupation. It's easy for me to fall back to construction because it comes so naturally for me. The other problem is that so far I've not really made significant money on it yet, partly because I'm new. And also up to this point, I was just trying to figure out the business and see how it works. Any advice would help. Well, Elam, hey, thanks for your question. Man, I appreciate your background. I know the environment that you grew up in, here's what I would do. I'd encourage you to make a list of 15 to 20 things you can do knowing your construction skills. I mean, sometimes we think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. You know, Do you have the ability to move into something else? Yeah, I'm sure you do. But a lot of times it makes sense to leverage what we already know, maybe just in a creative way to move forward. So I'd encourage you to make a list of 15 to 20 things you can do with your construction skills. So home inspection certainly is one of those. You know you can do that. I mean, you could do general construction. You could be a Finnish carpenter, or you could move into a specialized area like plumbing or electrical. Um, But but you could also, decide that you're going to build gazebos or arbors. I mean, we've got a beautiful arbor that is right at the entrance to the nature trail here in our property. And it was built by a young Amish guy who that's what he does. He builds those beautiful kind of things. So, you know, you could do that. You could decide that you're going to build children's playground areas. You could uh, move into a specialty like doing stamped concrete. We had a young guy that did our sidewalk here. I referred him to a whole bunch of other people. And he went on to be very successful in doing that. You could do water features, see something real unique like that, still using your construction skills, but something that would have a high price point because it's such a specialized thing that not everybody else is doing. I mean, that's one of the things when you have a skill, it's easy to think, well, I could do home inspections. Well, there's a whole lot of people that have the ability to do home inspections. What is it that only you could do? What is a unique area of expertise that you have? I mean, you might want to do patios and decks. I and mean, I had an Amish guy and his son put up the patio here at the sanctuary. See, it, you know, if you're dependable, do what you say you're going to do and show up for work on time. You can very quickly establish yourself very successfully in business. That's how you want to look at it. What is it that you can do that's unique when I look at authors, there's a whole lot of people who have written books. No question about that. I mean, millions. And just writing a book doesn't lead to a great deal of success for most people. But if you take that message that you have in your book and look for unique ways that you can share that with other people, wow, all of a sudden, you can really ramp it up into something significant. Well, let's go into some good news. You know, every month I get the statistics from the Bureau of Labor Statistics here in the United States, and it tells what's happening in terms of employment. I always scan through it. Now, this is one of those things you don't want it to have anything to do with your personal success. Don't let the statistics, you know, sway what you're going to do. I mean, we can we can know as, a, as an example, We know that a whole lot of people are leaving classroom education. They're leaving teaching positions. I mean, teaching, a lot of people have a heart for, you know, really helping kids, encouraging them, mentoring them. And then they get in a classroom and my gosh, you got to be a policeman to survive. And you don't have the support from the administration or from the parents like you used to. And so people are leaving. Does that mean yeah, you don't want to be a teacher anymore? No, you can find a unique application. I mean, you could find an opportunity to teach children of General Motors workers in a small town in Mexico where they have a factory. I mean, that would be a very, very different kind of application. That's what you need to do. Sometimes just back up, don't throw out the baby with the bath, but look for what's a unique application of what I could do. So when we look at these employment figures, Yeah, they're general. I mean, it can be encouraging or discouraging as a big picture. But again, what you need is one opportunity. You don't need to be swayed by what's happening nationally in general. Now, as it turns out, the national in general stats are very, very positive. I mean, have been really all this year payroll employment increased. I mean, there were new jobs, 155,000 new jobs added to the total, the total increase in November, 155,000. The unemployment rate is unchanged at 3.7%. Now we know that's lower than we've ever had in recorded history. We consider 5% unemployment to be full employment, meaning there's always going to be 5% of available workers who are in transition. They're in between things. When it gets below that, I mean, it's just astounding. 3.7. Now, what that means is companies then are scrambling for people because unemployment is so low. Anybody who wants to work as a job, Now, I say that, but at the same time, check this out. Among the marginally attached, there were 453,000 discouraged workers in November. Discouraged workers, this is the government definition of discouraged workers. are person's not currently looking for work because they believe no jobs are available for them. Now, here's what you and I know that the government has no way of tracking. There's a whole lot of those 453,000 people who are not discouraged workers at all. They've discovered an idea that they're simply doing on their own. So they are a home inspector, or they started a little building company, or they're doing pavement sealing. I mean, there are people and those people don't go back and report to the government. Oh, take me off that list. No, they just move into that. And the government is scratching their head, trying to figure out what happened to all these people. So when I see that number, 453,000 discouraged workers, I say, nah, not a chance. There's a whole lot of people in there who have fallen off the unemployment rolls because they just gravitated into doing something on their own. Now, here's some of the areas where there, it really has been increase. I mean, healthcare employment, that continues. That's always at the top of the list. I mean, it seems that as Americans age, baby boomers like me, you know, age, there's more and more healthcare services, more and more buildings being built to take care of the aging, more and more places going up that are, you know, nursing homes, assisted living, those kind of residences, independent living residences. So healthcare, yeah, obviously, always new opportunities there. Manufacturing. Sometimes we think, that all the manufacturing has gone away. No, manufacturing added 27,000 new jobs in November. Transportation, warehousing, 25,000, retail trade, 18,000. I mean, obviously this time of year, that's going to go up really, really quickly. Lots of opportunities where you may just work the month of December. You can jump on, you know, I see the UPS and FedEx guys come around and they got helpers with them this time of year. You know, you can get a temporary job, doing something like that if you want to. Well, after revisions, job gains have averaged one hundred seventy thousand new jobs per month over the last three months. All right, if you need a job, there's never been a better time in history than to go out there, hold your head high, know exactly what it is you do that has value, and you're going to get opportunities. Incidentally um, let's see in November, average hourly earnings for all employees rose by six cents. The average hourly earnings for employees in America is $27 and 35 cents an hour over the year. Average hourly earnings have increased by 81 cents. 3.1%. Well, for what it's worth, for what it's worth category. Again, the averages mean nothing. You go out, you do something that has value. You determine what the value of that is, and people are going to willingly pay you for that. Well, let's do some good news things here. Always lots of it. Hey, how about a homeless guy who found $17,000 in a brown paper bag. This is one of those things, you know, you, you make jokes about it because you think, yeah, right. You know, in your dreams, like that one in a million. Well, the guy really did. I mean, there's a homeless guy stopped by, um, let's see, where was this? Uh, the, okay. This is, uh, yeah. In, in Washington, Washington, DC. Anyway, so a homeless guy stopped by his local food bank for a meal early one morning, just a week or so ago, he found a lot more than just food outside their door. Kevin Booth had originally planned to grab some of the free baked goods that are left outside of the Sumner Food Bank for people to take when the facility is closed at night. Instead, he saw a peculiar brown paper bag sitting outside the locked front door. Thinking that it held food, he opened the bag to see, you know, was expecting to have some bag of donuts or bagels in there. Well, it contained stacks of $20 bills. The bag was filled with $17,000 in cash. Now this was really early in the morning and obviously $17,000 would have made a whole lot of difference for Kevin. No one around at all. But the 32-year-old says he knew the money would serve more people at the food bank. So he waited. He sat there for 45 minutes till volunteer Anita Miller opened, arrived to open up the facility. He says, there are a lot of people who would have just taken it but I'm not that person. Well, Anita Miller was shocked to hear about what had been left outside the door. And they, they, they called the police trying to identify, you know, where did this come from? Well, they never figured it out. So the money is going to be used to uh, get a refrigerator for this place. And, and they're being very generous with this young man, about giving him gift cards and things because he turned in the $17,000. Now here's the rest. of There's always the rest of the story as well. It's just, again, human nature to try to be kind to people and help them out. Not just this time of year. I mean, these, these stories are there any day of the year but right now, especially, well, this young guy said that he'd really like to have, now he's a little mentally challenged, they say. So, you know, probably is not going to have some of the opportunities that most of us have, but he said he'd really like to have a VW van that he could kind of live in. Well, so they started to GoFundMe campaign. Now keep in mind in the, he turned in $17,000. They set up a GoFundMe campaign to try to get him a VW van, and they set as a goal $17,000. I checked just a little bit ago. Now, this has been the last few days. I checked just a little bit ago, and there's $14,175 there. Now, I don't know who's going to go purchase the VW van, but trust me, I could go find a killer VW van for that kind of money, but uh, just a, a cool kind of circle there of goodness to have the guy find and turn in $17,000. And now kind people are saying, Hey, they're going to get him $17,000 to get him something that he really wants as well. Well, Josh turned in this note about the donut boy. Lots of you have done that. This has been going on for some time, but I'll give you an update. But this is a little boy who decided he was going to give donuts to thank police officers all across the country. He's a 10 year old kid, fifth grader, Tyler, a karatch, says he's Sick of donuts, but for good reason. The ten-year-old has delivered. He's now delivered more than seven hundred thousand donuts around the country. This happened. It's really a couple summers ago. He was at a local store. He saw four officers ask if he could use his allowance to buy them donuts as a snack. They were so appreciative of the gesture. It just gave him the idea that he had a mission. He wanted to thank every police officer in America. So now he uses every school break, nearly every summer vacation to fulfill that goal. So he and his mom travel around. I mean, they start at 4 a.m. in the morning. They travel around and give away donuts. Uh, just recently, uh, I, I well, I checked on the story since Josh sent it to me again, but just uh, a couple of weeks ago, this little boy was in Nashville here up on the north side of town, uh, gave away $1,000 donuts. Now you may wonder, you know, how can he afford to give away 700,000 donuts? Well, again, that's people like to be involved in something that's a good cause. They love to do that. So he has plenty of donuts that are donated to him. I mean, there was um, the little tiny donuts in here in Franklin gave him a thousand donuts to give away when he was here in Nashville. So these places like to be involved in something worthwhile, something notable, something good, humanitarian, caring, kind. Yeah, we all do. So uh, if you're doing something like that, other people want to be involved. Now, now speaking of which, last week, I talked about the fact that somebody, an anonymous giver in Philadelphia, had paid off $30,000 worth of layaways at a Walmart. Well, it turns out, That's a pretty popular idea. Now we've heard right here in Nashville, uh, just a few days ago, Kid Rock paid off all the Walmart layaways at the Walmart near where he lives, up on the north side of town here in Nashville. Paid off $80,000. Well, and we also have heard that uh, Tyler Perry paid off items at a Walmart, two Walmarts in his city of Atlanta, $430,000. Golly. I mean, I love it when an idea like that spreads. I mean, just when it's a good thing to do and uh, somebody plants a seed of an idea and there it goes. Speaking of which, you know, there, there's an idea that I shared. Golly, I'm Now my granddaughters hopefully won't be listening to this because I'm going to share an idea that I shared with my mastermind yesterday. And a whole lot of people said, oh my goodness, I'm going to take that idea. So I have three little granddaughters who travel their mama Ashley works for me at 48 days. So Ashley and Nathan and their three little girls are full-time travelers. Well, what do you get little girls when they live in 230 square feet where they don't need to accumulate more things to haul around? Well, I'm going to give each of those little girls $50 to invest in Kiva.org. Now, Kiva is something that I reference once in a while. It's something I've had fun with for years, probably 10 years ago or so. I put, I think, $200 in where I then invest that money in micro enterprises. I I like, you know, guy ideas. So if somebody in Guatemala is trying to start a car repair business and he needs $60 for tools, I'll loan him that money. Now it's through Kiva, K-I-V-A, and then he repays. So I get monthly statements. Gee, Jose just paid $1.38 on the money you lended him. Well, what happens? That money comes back 100% over and over and over again. So I've taken that original money that I put in and just, and then I have the opportunity to go and select who do I want to invest in for new ideas? Well, instead of a tangible gift that I'm going to give my granddaughter, I'm going to give each of them that money that they can then go online and select if they want to help a lady in Kenya. Who wants to start a little sewing business? They can help her buy a sewing machine and then they can watch over time as the money comes back in. Anyway, just a cool idea. I'm so excited about giving them that for Christmas. I don't there's nothing else that I'm giving that I'm as excited about as that. And I know they will be equally excited about that as well. They won't be disappointed because they don't have another doll. They won't be disappointed because I didn't get them a a red wagon. They will love the idea because I know how they think. Well, anyway, uh, let me just mention our business partner today. Again, I want to give a shout out to Fresh Books. Those of you who are entrepreneurs or those of you, again, who are employed, it doesn't matter. This is a time of year, end of year, when you want to make sure that you got your books in straight. You you want to make sure that you know what happened financially. So when April 15th rolls around, you're not scratching your head and missing deductions. Hey, you need to keep track of things. Well, our friends at FreshBooks know that feeling really well. And in fact, their understanding of how intimidating numbers can be has inspired them to create the most ridiculously easy to use cloud accounting software When I describe FreshBooks, as easy to use. I mean, here's some of the things that I'm talking about. When it comes to invoicing, you can send an ultra-professional-looking invoice in about 30 seconds. You can set yourself up to receive online payments, just two clicks. Clients will love paying directly from your invoice almost as much as you'll enjoy getting paid twice as fast. That is the truth. I mean, that's one of the things I love is being able to send somebody an electronic invoice, boom. And here it comes right back in. Very few vendors pay me by sending a check. I had one recently and it turns out that it was drawn on a bank in Toronto and my, it was a rather large check and my bank would not put it directly into my account because it was drawn on a foreign bank. You gotta be kidding me, Toronto, Canada. Anyway, I just contacted the company. I said, Hey, what if I tear this up and you just do an electronic transfer? 10 minutes later, the money was in my account. So we just bypassed that. But, you know, the way we can transfer money these days using FreshBooks is a whole lot simpler than sending an invoice in the mail and hoping they get it, then having them send a check in the mail. Very, very slow process. Well, right now, FreshBooks is offering you, listeners of 48 Days, a 30-day free trial just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days, enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. Now let's jump into some more questions here. Jared asked this. This is really cool. You know, I love it when the, a lot of you have been listening for a very long time. And I started, well I should have had a celebration. I started the first podcast after being on radio, live radio here in Nashville for six years, then put up segments of my radio show as a podcast, the first one being in December, December 9th of 2009. So let's see, that means I just passed nine years. Yeah, I just had a nine year celebration. Uh, never missed a week, but a lot of you have been listening for that long or some series of years in there. Anyway, Jared says, Dan, thanks so much for your positivity and encouragement. Your podcast has been a huge blessing to me for many years. A while back, he says, maybe a year and a half ago, you read an email from a lady who was wondering about a business idea of placing and maintaining bird feeders in her community. The idea has intrigued me ever since. And now that I'm semi-retiring, was wondering if you could guide me back to that episode or provide any insight into this idea. Jared, well, at first I thought you got to be kidding me. I don't have no idea what I talked about last week, let alone a year and a half ago. Well, I did, I did a quick search, thankfully just doing a word search. And I found exactly what you were talking about. It was in the December 2nd, 2016 podcast. So it's a little over two years ago. And the lady's name was Lisa Underwood. And she said, Here's my idea. She said, I want to start a wild bird feeding service. I live in a large metro area. I would market to assisted living, nursing homes, rehabs, hospitals, corporations, stressing green company culture, possibly schools. I was a wildlife technician for the U.S. Forest Service for seven years. I'm a birder, member of the Audubon Society, Native Plant Society, and Society for Ecological Restoration. I have a degree in environmental studies. I'm still working on pricing, feeders, seeds, et cetera. Now, but here was her idea. She said she's homeschooling, has one college student at home, one still in high school. So what she was going to do, now I don't have a follow-up on this, but I had several people at the time who said, oh, I'd like to do that. So the idea is simply that like at a nursing home or assistant living or at a hospital, you take charge of a small green area and have bird feeders there, where you refill the bird feeders, make sure they've got you know water and whatever they need there. I mean, what a beautiful, beautiful addition to a place like that. I mean, I would God, if I owned a place like that, I'd go for that in a heartbeat. I mean, we have lots of birds here in our property and certainly lots of birds here in the Franklin, Tennessee area, but that's pretty true everywhere. But to be able to set up places like that as an environmental beautification addition. golly, I love that. Yeah. Jared, jump all over that. Make it happen wherever you live. Let's say you're in Mesa, Arizona. So absolutely. I'd love to hear how you took that idea and did something with it. And I do. I I always love that when somebody takes an idea and acts on it. I love hearing these stories about people just got a seed of an idea, maybe from something that I shared that somebody else is doing, boom, went out and did it yourself. That's the way, you know, that's the powerful thing about ideas. I mean, if you have a penny and I have a penny and I give you my penny, now you have two and I have nothing. That's not the way ideas work. I mean, ideas, golly, I mean, if I have an idea and I share it with you, now you have <laughs> two ideas. Well, you have one idea, perhaps if you didn't have any, I still have the idea anyway. I mean, they just grow, they multiply. That's the power of sharing ideas. And, we, we, and when we haven't, the sense of abundance that most of you do, I mean, if you're listening to this, you understand the principle of abundance as opposed to scarcity. Scarcity is the idea that if I give you my idea, now you've taken away from what I have there's not enough left. I mean, I, I've made most of my money. Well, I'm an author and a coach. So if I'm an author and I've done pretty well with books, if I tell other people how I've done really well with books, does that diminish the success that I have? Not a chance. It's going to do nothing but accelerate that. Same thing with coaching. I mean, I enjoyed being a coach very early on when coaching was a term we didn't really understand outside of the sports arena. And then, so people were coming to me, how can I do what you're doing? Well, I could think, boy, if I help this person be successful as a coach, they're going to take away from the potential clients that I could have. Well, that's a pretty ridiculous idea. I mean, I could be the most successful coach in the universe and I'm not going to scratch the surface of people who are open to the idea of coaching. So if I teach 300 other people, how to be coaches. And again, that, that turned into be in in one of the most profitable areas of my business, not coaching individuals, but coaching other people, how to be coaches. So believe that your ideas can do the same. You share them. It'll add to your success. It'll accelerate your success as you help other people be successful as well. Golly, got on a rant there. Got to catch my breath. Just a quick reminder that the questions you're listening to here come from people like you. I love scrolling through questions. It's one of the highlights of my week when I open that magic mailbox. And that magic mailbox is askdan at 48 dayscom So if you get a question or success story that you want to share, you know, tell us how you've taken an idea and acted on it this year. What have you done to improve your position improve your time, freedom, flexibility, income, you know, all of those things, you know, share your ideas. Again, it's just ask Dan at 48 days.com. Now, last week I talked about, I I shared Roxanne's question where she said she wanted to be in real estate, but, you know, the things they were telling her to do, she really wasn't comfortable with. And was there any way that she could be successful in real estate without being, you know, just one more person knocking on doors, you know, and pushing her, pushing their business card at you at a chamber of commerce meeting. Yeah. You know, the cut, the type, Well, what she's done, I really love what she's done. She's moved into real estate, but because of her background, and she said, and she reminded me, and I wasn't aware of this, but that I answered a question from her, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago, where she was working in a retirement center, a senior living resort. She was an activities director, kind of um, felt like it was a thankless, thankless position. And I confirmed that it often was there. And she decided to move into real estate, which is what she's doing now. But Because of her affinity for elderly people, she wants to focus her real estate toward helping people who are maybe getting ready to move into a retirement center, but they need to sell their home. They need to know all the aspects of doing that. Well, what kind of financial decisions do they need to make? So she's going to specialize in doing that. She attached a Roxanne, a beautiful brochure. And I love the things that you have added there that you're that you're doing. I think you got a great focus. Uh, Roxanne says to market my business, I created a brochure, see attached, which I put up at businesses around town. I tell these businesses I will give back to them if I get a client from leaving my brochures there. I almost I'm also creating relationships with businesses and organizations that work with seniors and first-time home buyers. I've been invited to be a guest speaker. Um, at a couple, I booked myself at a couple of local senior centers to do talks about options for living as they age. God, I love that. Now here's, here's the thing. I mean, that that's a great way to focus on your unique specialty rather than just being one more in a sea of sameness with one more real estate agent. I mean, there's thousands of them out there. No, you are the go-to person for somebody who's Maybe retired. Somebody considering perhaps it's time to move into independent living or assisted living or some kind of senior center. When we see the the senior villages that are being created everywhere, it's a different kind of real estate model. So being a specialist in those kind of things, I think is a delightful area of focus. And I want you to continue updating. But I think you're going to rock and roll with your success in that. Now, this comes from Kelly. Kelly says, About 12 years ago, my husband and I met with you in your office in Tennessee for a weekend of coaching. As we reminisce, we remember meeting you and being introduced to your wife, having brand muffins and a cup of 48 days coffee before getting started. By the way, we still make those brand muffins a few times a year, they are the best. From the beginning, we felt welcomed. My husband and I left that weekend with a feeling that we had a a mountaintop experience. We weren't exactly sure how our lives would change as a result, but change it did. Your coaching planted many seeds that have since taken root in the form of a successful and growing business. In addition to launching our business, READ, R-E-A-D, Learning Educational Services, I published a supplemental spelling curriculum that meets the needs of students who have dyslexia, dysgraphia, or other learning disabilities. The instructor's manual has been accepted as basis for a three credit continuing ed grad course at one of our local state universities. Okay. Let me just insert. That is amazing. Again, talk about, I mean, doing something unique, very, very specialized, drawing on your background. I love that. Specialized spelling curriculum meets the needs of students who have dyslexia. All right. Now, Kelly says, fast forward to last week, I was approached by a major educational publishing company because they are interested in contracting with me to become either an exclusive publisher or advantage distributor of my curriculum. My program would supplement their flagship interventions. And from our initial financial conversation, sales are estimated to be quite large. I'm currently self published. And don't have any expertise when it comes to contracting with publishing companies, agreeing on royalties, et cetera. I know I'd have to involve my lawyer before signing any type of agreement. But is there anything else you recommend that we do to research non-negotiables or questions I should ask? Would you be willing to give us some pointers on this? Yeah, we probably need to have a phone conversation. But let me just comment. I mean, to start with, congratulations. I mean, what a cool opportunity to have this company approached you about being a distributor for the curriculum that you developed. I mean, that's a great way to go. Marketing is the real piece that makes us money, whatever we do. I mean, creating the content is just the first part. I mean, as, as in books, when, I mean, Mark Hansen told me years and years ago, he said, Dan, everybody wants to write a book. And I told him to go ahead and do that, do a really good job. Now that you've got your book written, you're 10% finished. of the success with a book is marketing, distribution, getting it out there. Incidentally, I'm revising my material at 48dayspress.com, where I've been reviewing manuscripts because it's been so overwhelming. I decided, I don't want to muddle through all that. I'm going to just be a resource and refer people to all the amazing resources out there. Professionals that we have in our 48 Days Eagles community, People like Carrie Oberbrenner, who has author Academy elite, people like David Hancock, founder of Morgan James Publishing, people like James Woosley, who published the Time to Fly book, people like Jennifer Harshman, who did the editing in that, William Parker, another publisher, Aaron Casey, who's another editor, if you need editing done, Nick Pavlidis, who does ghostwriting to write people's stories. I mean, the resources are just amazing. So I'm gonna be referring to people in there rather than trying to recreate it myself. And Kelly, that's what you're describing here rather than just trying to get out there and market it to all the educational systems. Wow, if, you're dist- if your material is picked up by a major distributor already, it can exponentially increase your distribution. I was already selling a lot of three ring binders of 48 days to the work you love when I was approached by publishers. Well, I went from distributing that myself. I mean, we were packaging those things up a hundred at a time, taking them to the post office. And then I got a publishing deal with Broadman Holman here in Nashville. Well, my per item royalty dropped dramatically. I mean, I went from like $32 net profit with each one that I was selling as a three ring binder to getting a dollar and 50 cents when somebody bought the hardback book. Why would I do that? Was that a stupid business move? No. I mean that the distribution exploded. It's all over the world. I mean, that book is now in complex Chinese, simple Chinese, Korean, Russian, Portuguese, Spanish, and just, oh, I mean, I could not do that as an individual. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to link arms with a distributor and do that. There's no set pattern for how to do this, Kelly. I mean, just flesh out what you would like this to look at. Yeah, you can have somebody else look at that. Frankly, I've I've never had attorneys look at my agreements. I do a lot of agreements for content like this that are just based on my trust of the people that I'm dealing with. And we write something up and I usually do something that has an expiration date. So it's not just forever. And it's something like what you're working with. I would suggest that you do perhaps a two year agreement. So if you want to give them an exclusive two-year agreement, that's fine. Then they can really prove themselves. And if that turns out to be really great, you can extend that. If they didn't do much, then it's back to you again wholly after the two years. Those are the kind of things that you look at. I mean, royalties on that. There's so many different variations in how that could be structured. If they you, they could pay you rather than a royalty on each individual sale, they could pay you a licensing fee. So you may agree that they're just going to pay you a flat $10,000 a year as a licensing fee. Now, if that doesn't make sense in terms of the sales that you're projecting, sure. You can look for some kind of a, a percentage, but again, the, the, the bulk of the money is going to go to who sells it. So it's going to be heavily weighted. I mean, if you have a, a t-shirt that a t-shirt design that Walmart is going to sell, you know, you're not going to get 50 cents and they get 50 cents. You're going to get a penny and they get 99 cents. And that could be really, really reasonable for both of you. So again, congratulations. I, I love the idea of, of what you describe as an advantage distributor. I like that where they may not have total exclusive rights. You still have the rights to promote it yourself, but you do give them a unique opportunity to be an, an, an advantage distributor great stuff. All right, let me um let me just grab one more here. We'll wrap it up with this. This comes from Doug. Doug says, uh, thanks for all you do. I've been listening to your show since 2008. <laughs> I've read all of your books. I've been a part of the 40 Days Eagles community. I heard you speak at Jim Cockrum's CES conference. Hope to meet you in person someday. Well, I love again, people that have been listening since 2008. Again, that's got uh, golly 10 years. Somebody has been listening to the podcast. And again, if it goes back, I said, I started the podcast in 2009, but a lot of people were radio listeners before that. So the 6 years before that. Well, Doug says I'm feeling stuck right now, need your help. Started a business in March of 2009 buying and selling a niche over-the-counter medical product. Eventually was able to come very close to my IT income with around $41,000. With your encouragement and a few others I quit my job to focus on my business. It says, you actually mentioned me in August, September of 2011 on your show, helping me with the decision, answering my questions about it, my decision to focus on my business. I've learned a lot from being a self-employed e-commerce business owner. Never looked back. But two years ago, the business went through changes. The income dropped significantly. I haven't been able to make that up. Working from home around the family, I enjoy having a lot more free time and flexibility. Lifestyle I've enjoyed now for those six, seven years. Still operating the business almost 10 years later, but with a significant income loss. One important thing I learned was not to depend on one income stream. I started teaching music lessons. Enjoy that, but not enough significant income to break free. Almost, I'm almost 50 years old. I've had to go back to taking IT jobs again, driving Uber, other side jobs to pay the bills. It's not been the same as before. I thought of becoming a consultant for Amazon sellers. I've been selling there since 2012 on a part-time basis. I don't want to work in the IT industry when I'm 60, 65 years old, so I need to make a change now. I believe my calling and temperament is to be a self-employed entrepreneur, and I feel like I've got to go back to pre-2011 having to take a job again because of the changes in my business. But I'm thankful for my job right now until something changes. What would you do? Thanks for reading my question. Look forward to maybe hearing your response on podcast. Well, thanks for your question, Doug. Here's what I would do with what you describe: the things that you've done in and out of jobs, also experimenting as an entrepreneur, being on your own. I, without question, hundred percent, no alternatives, would look for another idea that allowed me to continue as an entrepreneur. I mean, there's just too many opportunities out there. Now, that being said. I'm not saying that's right for everybody. There are people without question who go from being, having a job to being an entrepreneur. And two years later, they say, oh my gosh, I don't like this unstructured every day. I don't like having to spend 75% of my time marketing my services. I just wanna do the work that I know I can do well. Well, that's great. Go back and get a job, nothing wrong with that, no shame in that at all. But you asked me what I would do, I would certainly look for another opportunity to continue having the time flexibility, open-ended income that comes from being an entrepreneur. So, what I'd suggest for you, Doug, is that you make a list of possibilities, but don't just make a random list of things you know are possible. One of the things you you, you talk about, you selling on Amazon, doing some IT work, your know, other kind of things. You know, you you mentioned quite a variety, kind of Heinz fifty-seven of what you've done. I would get more focused on the kind of things you consider. So start with what you know about yourself. I mean, that's the filter. So make that list, make a list. I mean, get a list of 15 to 20 different things, but then filter it through what you know about yourself. What are your unique skills and abilities, your personality tendencies, how you relate to other people, what kind of environments you're most comfortable in. What are your recurring dreams and passions? Those are things that will help you narrow that list down to something realistic. Now, here's the deal. So, you could show me all of the hot new restaurant opportunities right here in Franklin, Tennessee, where I live. And I mean, they're exploding. There are places opening left and right. You could show me all the new hot restaurant ideas. And I can tell you right now, I would have zero interest. There is nothing you could tell me about a food industry, a restaurant idea that would be appealing to me. I know myself. I just have no interest in that kind of business at all, at all. So I want you to filter any idea through what you know about yourself. Follow your curiosity. Lots of people out there aren't really clear. Gee, I don't know what my passion is, Dan. That's okay. Just follow your curiosity that can turn into a passion. You don't have to find the perfect idea for the next 20 years or even 10. I mean, we, as entrepreneurs, we tend to move from one idea to the next. My, my, me personally, I mean, I'm a three-year guy. I mean, that that's every three years, I have to have some new ideas coming to the mix or I'm going to get bored. So I know myself. So you don't have to beat yourself up into thinking you got to find the exact right idea for the next 20 years. No, but you need to know something that you know fits you and then do that for the next two or three years. I mean, that's the way you make this work. Well, there's a different ending song for us. How's that? Well, we're only two weeks out from Christmas. I thought it'd be a good time to bring that in absolutely want you to have a Merry Christmas send your questions you know the deal send those questions in to Dan at 48days.com our call to action this week whose dream are you building we started off saying if you're not building your own dream somebody else will hire you to help them help you build their dream nothing wrong with that just be clear about what's happening head up for you to check out the 48 days eagles community people coming in there every day the excitement there is building we just sent out a spectacular christmas gift to every member of that community lots of postings on facebook about that you can see them we sent out case necklaces the 48 peppermint candies along with three books a letter from joanna and me having lots of fun there just check it out 48dayseagles.com Well, I hope you are having a wonderful Christmas season. Did you find those opportunities to be kind, compassionate, like some of the good news stories we shared today? Well, I enjoy having you as part of this community. I consider this a real privilege to speak into this community, to interact with lots of you, as together we are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Hang a shining star upon the highest bough And have yourself a merry little Christmas now